Salt Company, how are we doing, guys? Oh, right. Some of you are doing great. Others of you, not so much. Hopefully, uh, I don't make things worse for you. Uh, but like Kyler said, my name is Ian. I'm on staff here. Uh, I love being on staff here. Uh, one thing that I do whenever I teach in environments that I'm not like super familiar with everyone, I just want you guys to know, like, do you guys want an actual introduction about who I am, or do you guys not care enough? You, if you don't care enough, just say it. I don't, like, it won't hurt my feelings. I'm not a big deal. It's fine. Do you want to, if you want to know who I am, I can give you a quick spiel. If you don't, we can just jump in. All right, fine. Fine, you pull my leg. Uh, I'm Ian. Uh, I am from the Midwest. I moved to Texas to go to college. I uh, got married in Texas, moved back up here about four years ago. Uh, we have a great Dane, my wife and I, Morgan, we have a great Dane named Walter. He is seven. Uh, he's probably going to die in a few years. And so... I like to throw that in there because people are like, how dare you? Uh, he's great. We love that guy. Um, we have three kids uh, that we adopted about a year and a half ago, and we have one on the way. And so life is wild. It's crazy. It's fun. And yeah, I'm just pumped to be here with you guys. I've been on staff for almost, uh, I guess, four and a half years now. Uh, with our family ministry, so I help oversee kids ministry, which some of you guys serve in, student ministry, uh, which some of you guys have been in, and so it's just a joy to be here with you guys tonight, and I'm glad you're here. And we are starting a series tonight um, I, that you guys are calling re Relationships. Um, it's really creative, uh, as you guys might know that we're talking about relationships. And so uh, I told uh, Jordan that he missed a really great opportunity to use the sermon series title, Waiting, Dating, and Mating. And so that's what, that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, this series is now Waiting, Dating, and Mating. You guys can call it that if you want to. Uh, you don't have to, but you should. Um, so Waiting, Dating, and Mating, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're talking about that first one, waiting or singleness. Um, and I'm just really excited to share this with you guys tonight uh, because I was telling uh, the people earlier, uh, kind of your guys' staff, that I think I wasted my singleness. And so my hope for you guys tonight is that you walk out of here not wasting your singleness, but using it as God intended. And so uh, where are all my single people at? Where are my, all my single people at? Yeah. This one's for you guys. All right. This one's for y'all. Uh, how about dating? Any dating people in here tonight? Oh, uh, <laughs> why'd you guys boo? You don't need to boo them. Rude. Uh, Dating people, uh, this is for the, statistically speaking, 70% of you that will be single again at some point. Uh, <laughs> it's just statistics, guys. I just say what, just say what I've seen. Um, any, engaged, any engaged couples in here tonight? Couple of y'all. Uh, this is for you too. Not that you're going to be single again by God's grace, um, but that you know single people. They just raise their hand. You know who they are. Uh, this one is for all of us because... When I think about singleness, I think about a bunch of people who uh, maybe don't see relationships the way that they should. Uh, whether you're single, dating, married, sometimes we have this wrong view of what singleness is. And we have these misconceptions about what singleness is like and what being single makes us feel like. Uh, like uh, maybe some of you guys feel, man, I'm single. I just need to be looking for the person that I can be with forever. Or you're single and you're like, man, I just feel like I'm less useful than I would be if I was dating or married. Or maybe you're single and you're like, man, I just don't think I'm as worthy as these other people. Or I just don't think I'm as valuable. Or maybe you're single and you're like, man, I just, I'm just lonely. I just wish I had someone to spend time with. I just wish I had someone that would text me every once in a while. 
And you can start to have all these misconceptions about what it is to be single. And like, honestly, those are all ways that I have felt uh, in my singleness in uh, growing up in high school and college. Like I felt every single one of those things myself. I was like, man, I can't wait to get married. I need to get married. That's for me. Like that's what God has for me. I know it. And so I'm just going to chase after it. And I just, uh, I viewed uh, relationships as a way to get to where I thought that I wanted to be. Like in high school even, like I got, I was in my first relationship when my sophomore year of high school, I had no business being in a relationship. I honestly, I didn't even really want to be in a relationship for me, right? Like it was, I was in high school and everyone else was in a relationship and I was on the football team and got made fun of because I had never been in a relationship before. And so I was like, fine, I'll date this person, whatever. And that's a great attitude to have going into a relationship, by the way. If you feel that way about the person you're dating, not good. Um, and like the only thing we really had in common was we both liked and played sports and liked kissing each other. Like that was the only thing that we had in common. And it was like, why am I dating you? And so shocker, that relationship didn't really last. But it got me to the point where I was thinking, man, what am I doing with my singleness? Like, what is the purpose of all this? Why am I feeling this way about who I am when I'm not in a relationship with someone? And so that's really just where singleness took me. And I kind of got to this point, and really the point I want to bring you guys to tonight is there's got to be a different purpose behind singleness than what I think it is. Like, surely singleness isn't just used as a stepping stone to get to marriage. Surely singleness isn't just uh, this season of life I'm in until I can someday be married. Surely there's something better for my singleness than the way that I'm feeling right now. And so tonight, I hope that uh, if you're in here, whether you're single now, going to be single again someday, or no single people, I hope that we can get to the spot where it's like, we know the purpose behind our singleness. We know why singleness is a thing and why it's a good thing. And so uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have your Bible, you can open on up to there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a uh, little bit of context. Anytime we jump straight into the middle of a book, we want to kind of lay out a little bit of context. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, and they're uh, pretty messed up. they got a lot of weird stuff happening, a lot of things that they shouldn't be too proud of. And uh, Paul is addressing these things. Uh, he's kind of, uh, yeah, he's kind of just showing them, hey, you're not living the way you should. Here's how you should live. And so 1 Corinthians is a letter to them. And in this letter, he is also, he's showing them uh, He's actually answering some of their questions too. So he's addressing some issues he sees. Then he's addressing some questions they have. And that's really where we're picking up. In chapter 7, he starts addressing some of the questions that they had had about marriage. And so chapter 7 starts. He's talking about marriage, husbands and wives, how they should act in a relationship with one another. Uh, and then he gets to verses 6 and 7. While he's talking about married people, he says this about singleness. He says, uh, we're actually going to go through uh, verse 9, but he says, Now as a concession, talking to married people again, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, which is single, uh, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So he's talking to married people about marriage. Then he kind of just like abruptly pauses and like, hey, by the way, if you're single, whether you've never been married or whether you're uh, widowed, hey, just don't get married. Like, this is my advice to you. Don't get married, which is kind of a weird thing to tell a bunch of married people in the room too. But he says, hey, this is the way I see it. You shouldn't get married. 
I think it is better for you to not be that way. And so he, uh, that's what he addresses, singleness there. And then he keeps talking about marriage. And he starts to address husbands and wives. If they're married to someone who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't follow Jesus, how they should act in that relationship. And just a side note there, Paul here isn't saying, hey, it's okay to marry someone who isn't a believer. Because that would go against other things we see in Scripture. I'm sure you guys will talk about that in uh, the marriage aspect of the series. Uh, but he's saying, hey... He's not saying you can marry someone who isn't a believer. He's addressing people who have gotten married and then have been converted after their marriage. And so he's saying, hey, you got married. Now you're converted. Don't leave your unbelieving spouse because you never know if God might save them. And so that's kind of where he's at. And then we get down to verse 17 and we get kind of this weird break where he's talking to married people. And then he starts uh, in verse 17 kind of going off on a tangent, it seems like. But we see it all kind of tied together. And we're really going to start in verse 17 and see what does this have to do with marriage and singleness. So let's jump in. Verse 17, we're going to read through verse 27. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. But he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he, was, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So there's a few things I want you guys to see in this passage as we talk about marriage and singleness. Uh, this whole passage is really just about, hey, don't seek to make your life better by changing the situation that you're in. So he's saying that all these people, they're, they're thinking, man, if only I was this way, my life would be better. I'd be able to follow Jesus better. So he's really just going to them and saying, hey, are you circumcised? Great. Stay, stay circumcised. Are you not circumcised? Great, you don't need to be circumcised. And all the uncircumcised people were like, that's wonderful news, thank you. Um, and then he goes on to bond servants. Are you working to pay off the debt that you owe someone? Hey, you don't need to seek freedom. If it comes your way, great, you take advantage of it, but that's not something that you need to seek to make your life better so that you can follow Jesus better. And then he relates it even down further to marriage later on. He's saying, hey, were you married when you are called to be a follower of Jesus? Great, stay married. Were you single? Were you not married? Did you not have a wife? Don't, you don't need to find one. And so Paul is saying here, he's saying, all of these people, they're looking to think, man, I, I would just be a better follower of Jesus if I was circumcised. Or I'd just be a better follower of Jesus if I was free, even though I'm a slave right now. And there were even people, it seems like, that were thinking, man, I would just be a better follower of Jesus if I was married. Or I'd be a better follower of Jesus if I wasn't married anymore. And that's, that's the way people were thinking. They were thinking, man, I can't follow Jesus as well now as I could if my situation, if my life, if my circumstance was different. 
And Paul's saying, that's not the way that you should be thinking. That's not the heart that you should be have with the circumstances that you are in. He's saying, don't try and rid yourself of the circumstances that you are in in order to think that you can follow Jesus better. And guys, this is, this is where I want to slow down for just a minute because I think as college students, this is something that you guys all struggle with because I still struggle with it. Where it's like, man, if only my life was a little bit different, then I'd be able to follow Jesus a lot better than I do right now. Like right now, married, three kids, one on the way, and kids are exhausting, y'all. Like, there's, like, it's already past my bedtime. You're lucky I'm here right now. But it's like, man, I would be able to follow Jesus a lot more if my kids didn't ruin every ounce of patience that I had. Or I'd be able to follow Jesus more if maybe they were a little bit older and we could do fun things together and we could go do these, like, kingdom-minded things together as a family. Man, that would just be so cool. That would be great. And I start thinking, man, I'd be able to follow Jesus a lot better if my life was different. If my kids were older, if my situation was different, if I had these different opportunities. And I bet you guys can feel the same way sometimes. Where you start looking at your life and you're kind of going through your life and you're like, man, if only I was at a different college, I could be a better follower of Jesus. If only my family life was different, I'd be a better follower of Jesus. And like specifically, if we're talking about relationships, right? If specifically singleness, man, if only I had a relationship, if only I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, man, then I'd really be able to follow Jesus well. Or I can't wait to get married because when I get married, I won't struggle with that sin and I'll be able to follow Jesus so much better. And you start telling yourself those things over and over and over again. You think that changing your situation, changing the life that you are involved in right now, changing the circumstance that you're in, the relationship status you're in, you think that changing that will make you a better follower of Jesus. Guys, and what Paul is saying, he's saying, don't think about it like that. Your focus is on the wrong thing. You're focused on making your life better by changing the circumstances around you. And what he's actually going to get at and what we see him get at is not, hey, change the situation you're in. He doesn't say change what you're doing. He doesn't say change your status. But he actually gives a better thing to focus on. I want to show you why he says don't worry about trying to make your life better. Because we can often think getting in a relationship will make our life better, make it easier to follow Jesus. And we actually see in this very passage why he says, hey, don't, don't waste your time just trying to make your life better by changing your situation. Uh, look at verse 17. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. So he says, don't try and change your situation because what we see in verse 17 is who is the one who has put you in that situation and in that status? God. He's saying, hey, you don't need to try and change it because who put you there? Who assigned this to you? The Lord did. The one who is in control of all things, who made all things, who is sovereign over everything. Paul is saying, hey, you don't need to worry about changing it because this has been assigned to you by the Lord Almighty. He is in control of it. He has assigned you to this, and he has called you to this right now. Like, that's the language that he uses, assigned to him and to which God has called him. Guys, the situation you're in isn't a surprise to God. You being single, God isn't taken aback by that. 
God isn't just out there thinking, man, I really wish that they would get their act together and start dating someone because then I could really use them. No, God has placed you where you are. He's assigned some of you, if you're single right now, he has assigned singleness to you right now. It's not just that you got through, like you just went through a breakup. It's just not that you just never got the opportunity to date someone. It's not just, oh, I'm not good looking enough to be in a relationship or I just haven't found that special someone. No, it's God has put you there. God has assigned it for you. He has called it to you. That is why you're in the situation you are right now. Some of you, that's why you're single. Some of you, that's why you're dating. Some of you, that's why you're engaged. Like God has assigned it to you. He has called you to it. And just... This doesn't mean that you're always going to be assigned to it. Like, if you're single right now, this doesn't mean that you always have to stay single. Because, like, the example that he gives a little bit uh, in this passage is, hey, if you're a bond servant, freedom comes your way. Like, take it. Like, he's not saying you're going to be single forever and it's wrong if you're not. But he's saying don't, don't just go out trying to change it. Like, don't let your focus be on changing your relationship status. Because, look, I'm in charge of it. I've called you to it. I've assigned it to you. God has placed you where you are, and he's placed who you're with or who you're not with for a purpose. It's something that he has called you to. It is an assignment he has given you. And so who are you to just seek to change it? It's not bad to want a relationship. It's not bad to desire marriage someday. Marriage is a great gift from God. But if that's your sole focus in life, if relationships are just taking up every ounce of brain space that you have, if jumping from relationship to relationship is how you cope with life because maybe one of them will stick and you'll get married, if that's where you're at, God is maybe calling you tonight to consider, hey, do you realize that I'm the one who is in charge of this? I'm the one who is in charge of your singleness and your dating and your marriage, not you. Have you realized that? Have you considered that? The call is to take your focus off of your singleness. Take it off of your relationship status. That's not where your focus is supposed to be. And in this passage, we actually see Paul give instruction for where their focus is actually supposed to lie. If God has assigned you the position you're in, the situation you're in, the relationship status that you have, if he has assigned it to you, then he has given you a focus within that. And we see a bit of what this focus is in verses 19 and 24. Verse 19, it says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. He's saying, hey, don't focus just on circumcision or uncircumcision. Like, focus on God's commandments and obeying them. And at the end of the passage in verse 24, he says, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him, let him remain with God. The call isn't to try and make your life better by getting out of the situation you're in. The call is to make your life better by focusing in on who God is, by focusing on his commandments and obeying them, by getting your eyes off of the situation you're in, getting your eyes on the one who has placed you there and what he has called you to do while you're there, to walk in obedience to him, to remain with him. It's interesting when you look at the word uh, remain, when you go to John 15, it talks about abiding. It's the same word used there. So it's saying, 
hey, your focus, it shouldn't be the situation you're in. It shouldn't be the relationship status you have or the relationship status you want. Your focus should be on obeying God and abiding in God. That should be your focus. You guys, could you imagine? Could you imagine if that was your focus? Like instead of just focusing in on, man, who's the next person I'm going to get in a relationship with? Or instead of focusing in on, man, who's the person that I want to date? Who's the person that I want to marry? Instead of just being so focused on those things, you started turning your attention a little bit more. You started focusing in on, man, what does God want from me? What is he calling me to? Are there ways he's wanting me to obey right now that I'm not obeying because I'm so focused on where I want to be? Are there ways that I should be abiding in him, but I'm just so, spending so much time abiding in the world or abiding with uh, the person I'm dating that I'm not spending any time abiding in him? Can you just imagine what would, what would happen if we shifted our focus from the relationships that we're in or not in and instead started focusing on God, focusing in on what it looks like to obey him no matter where we're at? what it looks like to focus in on abiding in him. Because that, that's what Paul is getting at here. He's telling these people in Corinth who they're trying to make them their lives better, and even for good reason, they're trying to make themselves better followers of Jesus, but they're doing it by just trying to change the situation they're in, and they don't see that they can follow Jesus well where they're at. They can obey Jesus well where they're at. They can abide with him well where they're at. So students, do you realize that? Do you realize that you can obey Jesus just as well now as you can if you're dating someone or married? In fact, I would even say that if you're not focused on obeying God now, you definitely won't be when you're dating. You definitely won't be when you're married. If you're not focused on abiding with God now when you're single, you're definitely not going to be focused on abiding with him when you're dating and married. Because your singleness is something that God has called you to so that you could focus on him. That you could nail down what does it look like to obey him. Obviously not perfectly, but what does it look like to live a life of obedience, live a life of abiding? Because when we get to eternity someday, you think a bunch of people are going to ask about the relationships you were in? No. Think they're going to care that you were single for X amount of years, dated 18 people, didn't work out with any of them, then finally got married? Think that's going to matter to people in heaven? No. Know what will, though? Your godliness, your holiness, your abiding in Jesus, the, per- the making you holy as you live your life. That's what's going to matter. So Paul says, take your focus off trying to follow Jesus better by changing your status and follow Jesus now where you're at by abiding in him and obeying him. And then he even goes so far as to say it's a gift. Like if you remember what we read in, uh, up in verses 6 and 7, I'll just reread it real quick. He says, now is a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, which is single. He says, but each has his own gift his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so Paul says, hey guys, singleness, the way I am, that is a gift. How many of you have ever been given a really crappy gift before? 
Anyone ever been given a gift where you're like, you open it and you're like, that's not it. Only three of you, really? There's got to be more. Like, that is the most stressful thing to me about Christmas, right? My family, maybe some of your guys' families are like this. My family growing up, it was everyone has their little stack of presents next to them, sit in a circle, and you take turns opening one present at a time. Anyone else have to go through that torture? Yeah, because like what's bad is that you get a gift, you open it, and that is your thought. You're like, oh, mom, that was not even close. Like that's the wrong size, wrong color. I can't even try this on right now, and I'm terrible at hiding it. Like I'm not the most enthusiastic person in the world anyway, and so I get a gift that I like, and I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. And then I get a gift I don't like, and it's just like, thanks, guys. And my brother and sister just made it worse because they're like over the top, like kind of annoying in that sense, to where my brother can open up the worst gift ever and be so excited about it, or at least make the person who gave it to him feel that he's excited. And that's just a gift he has. I don't. Um, but get, we have all gotten bad gifts, right? Uh, one of the gifts that I got a lot growing up uh, through my teenage years uh, was savings bonds. Anyone know what a savings bond is? Yeah, yeah. savings bonds, right? 13-year-old Ian opens up a $50 savings bond. I asked my dad, what can I do with this? He said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> I was like, why then? He's like, one day maybe you'll care. And so every single year for about 10 years, I got a $50 savings bond from my uncle. I thought it was the absolute worst gift I could possibly get. I was like, Give me like an Xbox or something, right? Give me a new game. I'm trying to save up for a car, cash maybe, $50 in cash that I can use. Thought it was a terrible gift. And then I uh, turn 18, get ready to go to college. And my parents had taken all the savings bonds and they had cashed them. And they give me like $500 in cash as I get ready to go to college. Those savings bonds look pretty good right there, right? <laughs> Like, the, they started a savings bonds and turned into a year's worth of Whataburger for me when I was in college. <laughs> Some of you have never been to Texas and it shows, but Whataburger is, oh, it's great. Um, so what I thought was a terrible gift turned out to be this wonderful gift, right? And there's a lot of you guys in here tonight that you might see singleness. And Paul, you hear Paul, as you're reading it, you hear him say this word gift. And you're like, Really, that's what I'm opening? Like, singleness, that's the gift that I get? Like, my friends are over here dating. They're over here getting engaged and married. I'm over here just single, wanting someone to look at me, right? And you're like, what kind of gift is that? But Paul says, it's a gift. And so many of us, we look at singleness and we see savings bonds when we should be looking at singleness and seeing Whataburger, Kind of. I don't know if that illustration tracks completely. But you get the point, right? Like, we see singleness and we're like, that's a crappy gift. But in reality, like, man, it's a sweet gift. It's one of the best gifts. And as we keep reading through 1 Corinthians 7, we see why it's such a great gift. Uh, read with me verses 32 through 34. This is Paul talking. He's kind of going to expand on what he means by a gift. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. 
And the unmarried or betrothed woman is unanxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Anyone in here wish they could be free from anxiety? You want to know what Paul would say? Don't get married. Stay single. Don't do that to yourself. You want to be free from anxiety? Be single. And there, guys, I know that sounds like a joke, but there is so much truth to this. Truth that I wish I understood as a single man. Truth I wish I understood when I was in college and shortly after. Like, man, that's a truth I wish I grasped because I was so focused on wanting to be married that I missed the gift of being uh, of not being anxious about someone else. Like, I'm married now. I have kids. I have a family. It's no longer, hey, what job do I want to have? What do I want to do with my life? It's, hey, what job can I have that will also provide for my kids and my wife? It's no longer, hey, what do I want to eat? But it's like, what does my wife want to eat? What are my kids actually going to put down their face holes tonight? Like, it's more than what I want. But I'm anxious about the things they want. It's no longer, where can I, where do I want to live? What place do I want to live in? But where's my wife going to feel safe? Where are my kids going to have a decent education? Like, it's more than being worried just about the things that I want. It's being worried about what they want, what they need. And like, those are all just like the little selfish things, right? But Paul takes it a step deeper too. And he takes it off to the next level. And he says that married people, they have a lower capacity to be devoted to the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? That in your singleness, you actually have a higher capacity to be devoted to Jesus. You don't have to be worried about a spouse, about kids. Don't you have to worry about what's going on at home? Like, no longer, because I'm married, no longer can I just think through, man, who am I going to hang out with and disciple tonight? It's, man, if I go hang out with that person, I'm leaving my wife and kids alone again. It's no longer, man, who do we want to have over for the third time this week? Who do we want to have into our home? It's like, oh, is there a single night this week that we can have someone over? I haven't spent any time with my wife. How is she feeling about this? And like, if I'm really honest tonight, my wife and I got into a bit of like, there's just stress in our relationship tonight because I'm here. Like I get to preach the God's word to you guys. It's a beautiful thing. But I was at students last night. I didn't, I saw my wife for 10 minutes in the morning. I'm here tonight, saw my wife for 10 minutes in the morning, about 30 minutes uh, this evening in the mess of putting kids down for bed. Tuesday night, we had connection groups, so we were together, but not really like able to have great conversation just together. And these are all good things. Like These are all things that we're like, you should do these things, but when you're not single, when you're married, your capacity to be fully devoted to the Lord is like, it's not as high as it is when you're single because you have a spouse to worry about. You have other things that are on your mind, and they should be because you're married to them and God has placed you under, placed them in your care, right? You should be worried about your spouse. But because you're worried and anxious about your spouse, you have less time, energy, and capacity to be anxious and worried about the things of the Lord, how to please him, how to further his kingdom. 
Guys, singleness is a gift. And it's a gift that most people don't realize is a gift until they just don't have it anymore. And like I said, this isn't saying don't get married. Some of you, you should get married. Like Paul says, hey, if you're going to burn with passion and can't exercise self-control, you should get married. But what if we stopped viewing marriage and getting married as like the default answer to life? But instead start saying, man, singleness is a gift. I want to hold on to this gift as long as possible. I want to be able to be fully devoted to the Lord as long as I possibly can. I want to give him everything that I can. I want to commit my life to be fully devoted to him. Guys, that's the gift of, single, that's, of singleness. That's the gift that we often miss. And you see it the way that Paul sums it up in verse 35. He says, I've done this not to lay restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Because that's what he's after. Undivided devotion to the Lord. And so, because singleness, it's a gift. It is a gift from God so that you can live fully devoted to God. Because have you, have you seen singleness like that? Do you see it like that? What would change if you did see singleness like that? Not as this stepping stone to get to marriage. Not just as something to uh, that, a season of life that you're in until you can finally afford to get married someday. But what if you saw it as a gift from God so that you could live fully devoted to him? So single people, if you're in here or if you're like, this dating relationship ain't going to work out and you're going to be single, like, listen up real quick. You have been given a gift from God. You have been given a gift from God. Don't waste it. Don't squander it away. It is a precious gift that God has given you so that you can have your life fully devoted to him, your attention fully on him. Don't waste it away. And there's multiple ways to waste it away, right? Like you can waste it away by just wishing to be in a relationship, by just looking for the next person to date, bouncing from relationship to relationship. And you can waste singleness that way, but you can also waste singleness by just making it all about you. Being like, hey, I'm single, don't have anyone to worry about. I'm going to go where I want to go, eat what I want to eat, sleep with who I want to sleep with. And you just start seeing singleness as just about you. But Paul's saying, hey, singleness is a gift because it is now granting you the opportunity to live a life fully devoted to Jesus with nothing else getting in the way. So single people, it is a gift from God that you are single, a gift that he has given you, a life that he has placed you in, this precious gift. Don't waste it away. Dating people, your turn. Can we be real, real quick? If you are dating, you are still single. You are still single, yet you are living like you're married. And your devotion isn't on the Lord, fully devoted to the Lord, but you're letting your dating rob you of a life fully devoted to God. That's just the reality. If you are dating, it is not a bad thing to date. It is okay to date. You should probably date before you get married, right? Like, that's wise, 
Even though arranged marriages, if you want to talk about that with me afterwards, I'm kind of pro-arranged marriage. Uh, we can have that conversation some other time, though. Um, but you should date before you get married. But there's a way that you should and a way that you shouldn't date. You guys will talk about this next week, probably, maybe, I don't know. But ultimately, if you are dating until you're married, you're single. And if you are letting the person you're dating rob you of devotion to the Lord, robbing you of a life fully devoted to him, that's dangerous. Because then you start making life about you. Start making life about what you want, how that other person makes you feel, how you make that other person feel. That's dangerous ground to walk on. So if you're dating, stop acting like you're married. You're dating, you still have an opportunity to be fully devoted to the Lord. You don't have to be worried and anxious about them. They're still their own person. You're not married yet. Let Let them be not married for a bit. So you still have this gift. You're dating. You still have this gift of singleness. You can still be fully devoted to the Lord, and you don't have to worry yourself about what your dating partner is doing all the time, what they're saying all the time, what they're thinking all the time. They're not your responsibility yet. Don't jump the gun on that. It's not all that it seems all the time, right? And if you're engaged, if you're married, can we, and this is actually just for everyone, this is an all-skate can we just agree to stop trying to set up people all the time? Can we just agree to that? Because uh, here's the deal. If this is true, which it is because this is God's word, not mine. If singleness is a gift and we're so busy trying to play matchmaker with someone who is single, you're essentially trying to rob them of the gift God has given them. And you're playing the God of matchmaking instead of letting God work it all out in his timing. Can we, so can we just agree? I'm not saying, hey, I'm not saying that you shouldn't introduce people to other people, but if you're constantly like, you need to be with this person. Oh, that didn't work out. You should be with this person. It's like, let them be single. Let them use the gift that God has given them, being fully devoted to him. Don't rob God of this person's whole devotion to him. Guys, singleness is a gift from God so that you can live a life fully devoted to him. And I'm, I'm way out of time already. Um, but that, that was something I didn't do in high school. Not something I did in college. The moment I got my first, like, my first taste of what dating was like, and I knew, I knew that I wanted to be married someday, the, after my very first relationship, almost every single woman in my life turned into, aside from, like, family, because that'd be weird, right? Uh, but almost every single woman in life turned into, you my wife? Like, that was just how I viewed them. Like, that was the filter I went through. Not a great pickup line. Don't actually say that. But, like, that was what happened. I was like, man, I just want to be in a relationship. I just want to be married someday. I need a spouse, so I need to date. And I wasted my singleness away. Wasted it away. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family. Wouldn't trade them for the world. But when I look back and I see the wastedness of my singleness, oh, that's, that's tough. So don't waste it away. Don't wish it away. But use this gift. Use this gift of singleness that God has given you and use it not for your own selfish gain, but to be fully devoted to him. Like, 
get into a connection group. Get into a C group. And if you're single, that means you get to be fully devoted to the people of God as part of being fully devoted to God. You don't have people, you don't have a dating relationship to worry about. You don't have a marriage to worry about. But you can be committed to other followers of Jesus trying to follow him closer. You can bear one another burdens better. You can disciple other people at a higher capacity because you have more time. You have more availability. You have less things to worry about at home. Like, use this gift of singleness to disciple others. Use this gift of singleness to invite non-Christians into your home, into your dorm, into your apartment. Share the gospel with them. Use this gift of singleness to expand the kingdom of God here in Cedar Rapids. Use the gift God has given you. And if this whole room of people did that, saw singleness as a gift, and if you're single, you're using that gift to pursue others with the gospel, to disciple others, to grow in the gospel, to bring others into the family of God. Man, what a sweet change we'd see in this community. What a sweet change you'd see with your friends on your campus, in your buildings. And if you're not single, if you start encouraging the single people around you to do that, instead of being so focused on, oh, you should date this person. You should get married to this person. I have this person lined up for you. They're really great. Start focusing on, hey, how are you using your singleness to bring others to Jesus? How are you using your singleness and the time that you have to disciple others, to share the gospel, to open up your home? Because I want you to catch the vision for what it means to not waste your singleness, to see it as a gift from God. Because if you're a Christian in this room and God has saved you, he has now given you this opportunity as a single person to make waves across this city for his kingdom as a person fully devoted to him, not having to be worried and anxious about things that married people do. Don't waste it away. Use it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God who gives us good gifts. God, I pray that we wouldn't waste them away and that these students specifically, they wouldn't waste away singleness. They would see it as a gift from you to live fully devoted to you. And God, what better gift is there to be able to live a life fully devoted to you, unhindered by other things? God, there's no better gift than that. That's such a good gift. That that's what you sent your son Jesus to do, to die for us, to bring us back to you so that we could live for you. And what a great opportunity singleness is to do that well. So God, may we not look to better our circumstances or better our following of you, better our life by changing the relationship status that we have, but may we just live lives fully devoted to you. God, and may that be evident now as we sing to you. So let us sing as people devoted to you, fully in love with you, because of the good gifts that you have given. It's in your name we pray. Amen.